Good evening. You are tuned in to another episode of Writer's Block. First things first, some housekeeping. For all of the listeners that tuned in last month, we would like to apologize. We were meant to play Writer's Block during the Wednesday 8 to 9 show block, but we accidentally played a different program. So instead of tuning in to hear fiction and poetry readings over smooth jazz, we had rave dance music instead. (laughs) Uh, So for any of our listeners who were tuned in and a little bit confused, we do apologize. But no worries, because we missed that episode, we are uploading it to cjsw.com alongside all of our other episodes. So if you'd like to listen to last month's Writer's Block episode, you can just go online at any time. Without further ado, let's get started. Coming up first, we have an interview with Jenny Kwong and Dawn Dumont about her recent novel. Following that, we have an interview with Maddie Robinson and Michael Gillette about IFWA, also known as the Imaginative Fiction Writers Association. And finally, to conclude this episode, we have a piece of short fiction read out loud by local writer Candace Payne. Thanks for tuning in tonight, everyone, and without further ado, let's get started. Hi, uh, my name is Jenny Kwong for Writer's Block on CJSW Radio. Today, I'm with Dawn Dumont on the phone talking about her book, The Prairie Chicken Dance Tour. So welcome, Dawn. Hi there, Jenny. Thanks for having me on. I guess, uh, tell me a bit about yourself and uh, what inspired you to write this book. Um, well, I'm, I've been a writer for many years. I started in playwriting, and then I switched to uh, writing novels uh, in 2011. I uh, wrote the book because I was inspired by some source material at the Federation of Sovereign Indigenous Nations. They had this, this well, they used to have this paper called, uh, well, it wasn't more of a magazine, it was called the Saskatchewan Indian, and they've had, they had it for, like, I think the 1950s. And I happened to see an issue that was from 1972, and it actually described a tour in 1972 that went to Europe. And so, I mean, the source material was just amazing. It was written with this really dry wit. It had these cool pictures. It talked about all of their adventures. And I was I just found it really sweet and, and interesting and just sort of really captured that sort of idea of like, you know, reserved people traveling throughout Europe with, you know, barely any money and certainly no experience. So I just kind of got caught up with the source material and decided to try to recreate that in a novel. And what was the significance, I guess, about the 70s for uh, Indigenous people traveling? Well, I think that there wasn't a lot, right? I mean, people, of course, traveled. I mean, First Nations people are, are come from all different kinds of backgrounds and, you know, classes, and some are wealthy, some aren't, you know. So, of course, people had been traveling. But I think that this is an important political time for First Nations people. You know, we our political structures are being set up, like the FSIN, like the AFN, uh, the National Indian Brotherhood. Um, people were coming together politically. Um, there was also the awareness of the abuses that the residential schools were coming out. People were disclosing them more and more often. The people were also reclaiming their traditional their traditional uh, ceremonies. Because so remember, those were illegal. I think right up until the mid 1950s, perhaps even later, uh, Native people weren't even allowed to gather. They weren't allowed to leave the reserve. You know. So this was the time when they were sort of reclaiming who they were and then starting to use those ceremonies to heal from, you know, the racism and the colonialism and and all of the damage caused by the residential school, a process that we're still going through. And a big part of the the book is about gathering with um, indigenous people from around the world. I found that to be interesting. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was definitely a worldwide movement, and I've always been interested in, and in, um, you know, that interplay between you know the different experiences that Indigenous people have had across the world. You know, a lot of the same colonial techniques were used on different groups because you know racism, I think, is a pretty a boring and stupid endeavor. You know, it's not it's not practiced by you know. Um, good people. It's practiced by stupid, mean people. And so they tended to use the same techniques over and over again, just like how Hitler used, you know, the reservations as sort of a, and the residential school sort of as a basis for, you know, the Holocaust. And uh, he certainly learned a lot about that. I, I believe actually apartheid was actually inspired by the treatment of First Nations people in Canada as well. So, yeah, so basically, once you look across the different cultures and you see the way they were treated and the way they responded to it and, and then their cultural resurgence, you know, it kind of inspires you. Okay, and so the book is um, takes place over 15 days. Is there a significance to that number or was it that that's the way you, you structured the novel? That's just the way I structured the novel. I think the, the original tour might have only been 12 days, but I needed to get through a certain amount of activities and stuff like that. So I had to make it 15 days. So no, no, no real significance to that number. Okay. And it is a long time to spend in Europe, though. Yeah. And so I guess um, what was it like to uh, develop the characters for the, the novel? Like there, you uh, had certain characters uh, in the novel that you wanted to highlight. Uh, I don't know. It was, you know, when you're writing, you the way I write, the characters come first. It's like the scenario in this case came first, but you can't. I can't start writing until I know who the characters are, basically. So I just had an idea of this cowboy who was also a dancer and, and his journey. And then I had the idea of this young, beautiful girl who was, you know, on the on the cusp of womanhood. And I thought she was an interesting character. And, and then you had these other, like, um, a young man who was very wild and doesn't follow any rules. And so, and I think they kind of mirror the type of dancing that they're doing, because, you know, the dances in First Nations culture, they're traditional dances, the fancy dances. Then there's more like the crow hop, the specialized dances. So I think that's how the characters sort of came to be. They sort of mirrored the dances that they were doing. Talk more about what was it like to develop the I guess the Powell Trail that over the that like formed over the years, yeah. What was the development of Powell over the years? Yeah. Like added, um, well, I think it's basically it's a combination of things, and I'm certainly no expert in Powell dancing culture. I mean, there's people you could talk to who know, like you know, this is their field. But I would say that what happened was a certain type of Powell culture developed out of like you know people making money from traveling, like you know, like the Wild West show and stuff like that. So people would use their dances, but I think generally um, our dances were more of a mode of celebration. You know, like you would you would all come together, and then you would have different dances. They really weren't competitive. I mean, certainly that's how it is now. Powell culture now has sort of a competitive dynamic to it, um, although there's also traditional traditional dances as well. Um, the dances are developed um, usually through, like some of them have been around, it seems like forever, like say Ladies Traditional, but it, others grew out of that performance aspect, like fancy dancing. And then some of them, I'm not even sure where they came from. And I guess um, there, I guess talk about the more of the characters then. John is a particularly interesting character, John Grey Eyes. Yes, that's right. Yeah, I mean, John's just like a, a very a person who's very kind and and not very outgoing and doesn't really like to you know get out of his to get out of his routine. But he does it for his brother because he loves his brother and he knows that he owes his brother a lot. Um, he's also got a little bit of sexual confusion going on just because of the um, the residential school experience and you know with the with the sexual abuse that people suffered there. I think it had a very you know it certainly had um, a confusing aspect to to gender to sexuality to healthy boundaries, to, well, you know, just pretty much everything. Like, child abuse is an extremely damaging 
damaging type of abuse. And, uh, and, and so that's sort of what John is struggling with. And, and some of the others are also struggling with to, to, uh, to a degree as well. And I found Edna to be an interesting character as well. She's the older woman. Yeah, Edna's pretty staunchly Catholic, and um, that's, uh, I think, um, you know, with the experience of residential schools, some people don't understand, and some people came out of residential schools with a lifelong dedication to that religion. They, they don't quite understand that. But for Edna, it gives her life sort of like a, you know, like a, a skeleton on which to hang her life on, you know, um, and it's just sort of the basis of her decisions, and it's kind of made her narrow-minded and maybe stopped her from taking certain risks. But it's also kept her stable, and um, <clears throat> and she certainly has uses it as a source of strength. So, and then there's almost like a sort of a magical element to her religious belief, and um, I do believe that that's really where magic comes from is just from having you know a strong degree of faith. And I guess uh, there's Desiree, and she's an interesting character as well. She's the younger woman. Yep, Desiree's very young. She's 19 years old. She's just sort of wild. And I always thought that Desiree was going to be like the character who would have the most dynamic conflict, but she actually wasn't. She was actually the person who was just sort of like watching and understanding and, and able to bridge the two worlds with a little bit of humor and a little bit of wit. And, um, and so she's like one person who's always standing back looking at everyone and sort of understanding things that they don't understand just because of their age and their narrowness of mind and stuff. So she actually turned out to be probably one of the most level-headed people in the entire book. And I guess uh, writing seems sometimes seems to be a, a solo endeavor, but I guess it's good to um, share your work with people around you. And so what was the process of getting feedback for your book? I don't really get a lot of feedback on my work before I send it out. Um, I have an agent, and when I'm ready to send something out, I just send it to her, and then you know she'll tell me whether or not she thinks I need a little bit more work before she sends it to uh, publishers. So yeah, that's pretty much how I do it. Don't really don't really check in very often. I find the more you check in, <clears throat> all this is with other writers. The more you check in with people, you know, the more you lose you lose your um, your vision. So I think it's probably not great to keep sharing your vision with people all the time. I guess there are aspects to the book that um, seem to read more like a thriller or um, like an action-adventure story. And so is that a genre you're interested in exploring further? Maybe. <laughs> I think my next book might have some elements of that. Um, but I think it's just something that happens naturally. I, as a reader, I like to read action. I like to read people doing things. I'm not much one for people thinking things. So I'm kind of more interested in actions and then the, the characteristics that make people take certain actions. I'm always interested in the, the interplay between characters. So if it's not dialogue, then it's action. Not a whole lot of introspection. And so uh, what was it like to like map out the story? Do you begin with an outline or a storyboard to kind of map out what you're going to say in, in the book? Well, in this case, because I knew sort of the general, like um, the countries that they visited, I'd say that was the outline. I knew they had to get from point A to point B, from point B to point C, to, you know, and so on. And how they got there, you know, just sort of like, is just you sort of have an idea and then you just sort of write towards it. But is for a detailed outline? No, I don't do that. And so I guess um, what was the, I guess, easiest part of the writing process and the hardest part of the writing process? I think that the easiest part is just, just putting the story down, and, and then the hardest part is all the editing. <laughs> editing can get pretty dull. What sort of ideas are you working on right now for a future project? 
Um, well, I'm working on a screenplay actually that is about a man who, um, about a serial killer who's middle aged, and then he's attacking middle aged people. So it's kind of like making fun of the genre of the, you know, the sexy young teenagers being chased through the woods. In this case, it's all a bunch of middle aged people and all the middle aged woes that come with that. Um, I have also written a sequel to Roses Run, so I just got to start editing that. And then I wrote another novel during the pandemic that I've just got to like get through and, and edit again too. So got a couple. I got got three things on the go. Um, I guess that's it for me. Uh, anything else you'd like to say about the book and um, I guess um, the writing process that went into it? Not really. I'd say you know, like um, I think it was it was a lot of fun to write. I actually wrote it when I was on my maternity leave. Um, I just had given birth to my son, and um, and any new moms out there might um, understand <laughs> that I thought I would have lots of time after my son was born to write, and I literally ended up with ten minutes a day. So for any of those. People who say they're too busy to write. If you got ten minutes, you can write a book. Thank you very much.、Uh, we've been talking to Don Dumont about her new book, The Prairie Chicken Dance Tour, which is available in local bookstores in Calgary and probably、uh, near where you live as well. Thank you for joining me for today's interview. Thank you so much, Channing. You have a wonderful day. Thank you. For those who just tuned in, that was Jenny Kwong interviewing Don Dumont about her book, The Prairie Chicken Dance Tour. Don Dumont is a Plains Cree writer, comedian, and actor who lives in Saskatoon. She is the author of Roses Run, Glass Beads, and Nobody Cries at Bingo, which was shortlisted for the 2012 Alberta Reader's Choice Awards, Robert Croce City of Edmonton Award. And First Nations Communities Read Award. If you're dropping by a local bookstore, make sure to buy the Prairie Chicken Dance Tour. Coming up next, we have an interview with Maddie Robinson and Michael Gillette. Stay tuned. As Ernest Hemingway always said, write drunk, edit sober, and listen to CJSW. You are tuned in to another episode of Writer's Block. Writer's Block airs on the third Wednesday of every month from 8 to 9 p.m. on CJSW 90.9 FM. If you ever miss our show live, you can check us out on CJSW.com. Hi, everybody. This is Maddie Robinson interviewing Michael Gillette on CJSW's Writer's Block. Hi, Michael. How are you? Would you like to introduce yourself to the crowd? Hi, I'm Michael, and I'm a、uh, sort of an amateur writer, a speculative fiction writer, and、uh, been a member of IFWA for a very long time. IFWA is our Imaginative Fiction Writers Association in Calgary, and、uh, yeah, recently retired from corporate life and、uh, <laughs> well, sort of corporate life, and now trying to be a writer. That's always an interesting shift to make. I'm always happy when I find someone make a make a jump from like the business world to the fun creative world. It always gets me excited too. Um, yeah. So I figured I'd interview you today because I was really curious about Ifwa. Um, I was reading online that the Imaginative Fiction Writers Association, which is what Ifwa is short for,、uh, was founded in 1988, and I was really surprised to know that there was a a group like this for sci-fi and speculative fiction that was going back so long. Did you want to talk about when you got involved with the group and when you decided to kind of take that leap and go for it? A long time ago,、um, mm-hmm. probably at least twenty years ago. 
what is it 88 how many years ago is that 35 years about yeah 30 something i think yeah Yeah. so at least 20 years ago yeah Uh, a friend of mine who was a member just kind of we were talking about writing and stuff and i kind of think i like writing and i just showed up and away we went yeah so at least 20 years yeah that's awesome so did you originally start just as someone going to the meetings i understand that the group does a lot of it does a lot of uh monthly workshops and things like this yeah well the original yeah the original group was just five, six, seven people, I believe. And I oh, think they wow. started in a little cafe somewhere and then they met at a community center somewhere. And then eventually we wound up at the Sentry Box. And big shout out to Sentry Box. Thank you very much. So they, yes, yes. they offer the gaming room for free for us. So we've been meeting. And actually, as far as I can remember, we meet like once a month, every uh, first Thursday. We've never, ever missed a meeting, ever. That's- <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, so when I talk about 30 years, that's that's a lot of, yeah, people showing up. That's yeah. really impressive. Yeah, I, I thought I would reach out to you partially because when I was at the University of Calgary uh, quite a few years ago, I um, was part of the writer's circle there and they'd meet every two weeks. And I'd, o- mm-hmm. I'd always be there every two weeks on the dot. And it's one of those things where you really do start to form connections and suddenly you're like, oh, I'm looking forward to every two weeks, right? Like it's one of those things that you just you just get really into. Um, it's almost like a board game night or something because it's always the same <laughs> people. <laughs> well, I'll tell um, you, p- part of if one meeting is at the end of the meeting, we go to a pub somewhere. So there's also that. Awesome. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's always a fun part. That's, that's kind of the best part of the, the, the writing groups. There's usually at least one big drinker. <laughs> there's always that one token person who's always um, <laughs> really ready to go to the pub. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's very interesting. I understand that it mentions on your site that you are a writing group and not a book club, which I find very cool because there's a lot of book clubs around, uh, but not a ton of writing groups, especially not that go that long. So I guess my question for you is, because I know there's a lot of listeners that are probably interested in joining writing groups and things like this, what, what kind of led you to join a writing group and like, how did you build up the courage to submit work or to even like give presentations? Because I understand when I first started joining groups like these, I got really, really nervous. Like I wouldn't even submit anything because I was terrified people would hate my stuff so much. <laughs> um, did you, do you have any advice for people that are looking to join or like thinking about making a writing group or joining one? When I got your email about doing an interview, my first reaction was no way, <laughs> because I still am terrified of everything to do with being in the public. So yes, yes. <laughs> I would say just do it. <laughs> like one thing about IFWA or probably any writing group, uh, we have ARWA, we like crime writers, all these people have been around for a while and it takes courage to write stuff and then show it to somebody. It just takes a lot of courage. And if you want to, uh, just write for yourself, that's fine. But when you join a writing group, you're with other people in the same boat as you. And we're all trying to get over the hump of being shot down many times because mm-hmm. you will be shot down many times by oh, publishers, yes. editors, your mom, like whoever. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so joining a writing group really helps you get over the hump of uh, getting out of the basement, I guess. And, and writing is personal, but marketing is social. So you kind of have to... Uh, yeah. Get get out there a little bit. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I've noticed too. I think it's so interesting that the group has been around for so long because I was looking at the members on on the website and I've noticed a lot of them have been like have huge publishing credits. So I'm sure I'm sure being part of the group does actually pay off because you really do get that background. Well, um, (laughs) yes, uh, we have people that have never been published. We have people maybe have never submitted to anybody. And we've had Robert J. Sawyer is a member of our group and he's published. Right, right. Big stuff. So we got a whole range of people that you can look up to, get get advice from. 
yeah, just get help from. So we're, we're a good networking group as well as a critique group. I'm sure. So I guess, I guess my next question would be, I know that it's a speculative fiction writing group. Um, and this is curious to me because I've been in a lot of writing classes in universities, but often they're like, no aliens, no bloodshed, no <laughs> guns, no space, no Star Wars, no Star Trek, no nothing. So I assume, I assume this is almost the opposite. Like you get to do all the fun kind of pieces, like only fun. <laughs> well, we are speculative, which is horror is speculative, including poetry, novels, you know, everything. But the odd person will say, I just wrote something else. And we don't, we don't say no ever. So right, we'll, right. We'll, we'll, yeah, but the majority of people are there because you can join crime writers, you can join romance writers. But if you really want to get immersed in speculative, that's what that's what we do. And so we have this expertise in the tropes and everything you need to know about writing and marketing speculative stuff, which is a lot different than everything else. That makes a lot of sense because I know when I used to take um, writing workshops, a lot of times the the those that were giving feedback would say, "Well, I don't know. I'm a I'm a literary person, so they don't they don't know about the cliches or the tropes or what's in and what's not, or kind of just have that kind of speculative fiction background." So for any listeners, this would be a very useful group if you're looking to reach out for for something more sci-fi and your university literary courses aren't helping. <laughs> well, and that said, I must say there is. Uh what you might call sci-fi, which used to have the uh, mumbled sci-fi writer kind of mystique about it. But really, there's a lot of literary writers in our group, literary mm. people that, that write beautifully. And it just happens to be in space or underground or they're trolls. Like, who knows? But exactly. I don't mean trolls, yeah, they're but, yeah. they're ha- half elves or something. Yes, half yes, elves. Yes. But <laughs> literary writing is, is fine. Mm-hmm. But when you're writing to genre, there's some requirements. So, yeah. <laughs> The boundary is kind of slippery. I've noticed as I've gotten older, I've, I've noticed there's, you get this, these kind of mixed mixes with speculative and literary. So it's always kind of fun to see what people come up with. Um, yes. I guess my next question too would be, but this is more of a fun one, but since you guys do a lot of workshops and meetings and things, um, when I used to go to writing groups, I found that we had lots of funny stories. Like you'd have someone come in and they'd bring like a story that was obviously about their ex-boyfriend, but it was like cleverly disguised or, (laughs) (laughs) or someone would submit a poem and it's because they had a crush on somebody else. I don't know. Do you have any like odd stories or perhaps I can't ask this over air, but. (laughs) Um, Part part of what we try and learn is to keep ourselves out of our stories. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) So that's something you learn first is, yeah, that's kind of obviously about you. So yeah. Right. <laughs> um, funny stories? I don't know. Uh, we've done a lot of workshops with a lot of cool writers. I don't know if you're familiar with Joe Alderman. Maybe. Uh, I think so. He's, he's done a lot of stuff. And he read one of my things and said, my God, man, you've written the anti-novel. <laughs> the anti-novel? <laughs> yeah. It was a short story. But he said, this is the anti-novel. I can publish this, but you can't. <laughs> oh, so <geez>. stuff, <laughs> stuff like that. Stuff like that. But nobody. Yeah. There's no real ultra strange people, I would say. No, it's, it's all, it's all pretty, I don't want to say professional because it is a lot of fun, but uh, for sure, for sure. I think when you're in speculative, there's too much room to get out of your house and go do something else like out in space or underground. And uh, yeah. So we don't get too many, I don't know what the word would be too many personal kind of Yes, yes, yes. The personal memoirs or the the interesting yeah. clashes. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting, and maybe maybe a good thing because um I've been in a couple of writing groups and I've always found that there's sometimes drama in between the members, and I always get kind of a kick out of it because it's kind of a goofy thing to get dramatic over, I suppose. <laughs> and and you do else's... get you do get drama between members, but that's mm-hmm. all 
That's part of the fun, though, I suppose. (laughs) Yeah. And if you can't handle a little drama, you might be in the wrong business. (laughs) Yeah. No, no kidding. Hey, like it's all about the drama. Okay, awesome. So I guess one other question I have is that if any of the listeners wanted to get involved in the group, how about would they go doing that? Well, our website kind of has my email on it. And since I'm president, I'm sort of the guy everybody emails me. So they they either know somebody, you said Susan Forrest, for example, and she teaches writing at the Alexander Center. Yes. So a lot of her students will show up because she's a big rah-rah, come come to the meeting. So if you are a friend of a writer who goes to a writing group, just ask them. Mm -hmm. And certainly just email me. I get emails pretty darn regular and people come. The only odd thing about IFWA right now is for the last two years, of course, we haven't been able to go to the Century Box. So all of our meetings have been on Zoom, which has actually turned out pretty good. Uh, We're hoping in May to get back to the Century Box because a lot of our (laughs) writers are staring at their screen all day long. And the last thing they want is to meet online. So we're hoping to get back out of the pandemic quarantine business and into the the social gathering in May. But yeah, if you just email me, uh, you get on our little list and we, we send as you did to me, a link, and you're welcome. Perfect. Well, yes, yeah. I, I know, I, and I know the writers are the people that probably need more social interaction. If I'm being, if I'm being honest, but <laughs> <laughs> once in a while, yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, and and for listeners who don't know about Sentry Box, Sentry Box is this really really cool game store. Um, it looks very small from the outside, but when you go inside and you go downstairs, it's, it's like it's kind of like a giant library, but with games and like Dungeons and Dragons and like fun weird things. So like if you're if you're into that kind of thing too, I would suggest this, to check it out. It's, it's quite it's quite nice. <laughs> Um, and they're a bookstore. They're one of, I think, Canada's largest speculative bookstores, I believe. I actually didn't know that. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, good to so know. So there's, there's tons of books. And, and the staff there is amazing, super helpful, great people. And, and while they sell games and do games, gamers come. They have gaming nights and they play yes. games. So, yeah. So like I said, we've been there. We've been going there for decades and they've been pretty nice people. No, I definitely agree. Um, I guess my other question, though. Uh, before I kind of pitch the ball to you, is when it comes to speculative fiction or, or sci-fi, is there any particular writer that you would recommend to any listeners of CGSW, or are, do you just read so much that you love everything? So IFWA is, generally speaking, a critique group, so we spend at least half the meeting doing critiques. So uh, I do a lot of my reading of IFWA stuff, and right. most of it is pretty darn entertaining, pretty darn good. So to, to break into somebody else's novel, I don't even find the need, really. Uh, but, oh, man, you would ask me this, but, like, I used to read, what, Heinlein, all those those old guys, and now mm-hmm. I'm more into fantasy stuff. But right. names? Holy shoot. <laughs> it's kind of, it's kind of bad a bad with question. It, bad well, it's, with names, it's, yeah. It, it's a bad question to ask a writer because it's kind of like asking a chef, like, what's your favorite food group or something? And they're like, what are you talking about? Like, I do, you know what, you know what I mean? Like, there's no favorite. Like, it's always this weird shifting trajectory. <laughs> well, I just, I've been watching The Expanse mm-hmm. and I just discovered, oh, there's like eight books. So I just finally got my hands on all the books. But who the author is? I'm not sure. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, you can Google it. I'll, I'll yeah. add it to the end of this podcast. It's fun. Yeah. <laughs> but for science fiction, that story is utterly awesome. The Expanse. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Perfect. But again, I, I started science fiction. I'm writing more urban fantasy. So, uh, oh, shoot, I should have wrote down some of them. But a lot of, oh, well, I shouldn't say. I don't know. I don't want to mumble about people. I can't remember their names. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, 
I understand. I have my bookshelf back here, so I can always turn and look if I forget someone's name. But <laughs> <laughs> okay, awesome. So oh, well, for sure, Robert J. Sawyer, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as as a writer, the guy has got you know the pulse on good science fiction, and it's not war and outer space stuff. It's really good urban science fiction. So he's yeah, yeah, yeah. Super yes, excellent. yes, yes. Yeah. Yes, I will definitely check them out because I see I see a lot going on on the website there, and that that looks very interesting to me. Um, science yeah. fiction awards. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and he's probably the most decorated writer in North America, to be honest with you. Yeah. Yes, and it says he's been a member since 1996, which is conveniently before I was even born, <laughs> which is kind of crazy to me to think about. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Those were some of the first questions I had for you. Um, so I don't know if there's anything you also wanted to talk about, but I just kind of thought I'd touch on some of those little things. Was there anything you wanted to mention about the group? Was there anything you had in mind just for the interview? Anything you wanted to promote maybe about the group? I don't know. I'm not sure. I'd say, well, once you remember, well, first of all, if was an actual registered not-for-profit organization, mm-hmm. which is why, you know, we have a president, we have a secretary, we have a treasurer, all of that. So it is a registered not-for-profit. There is like a $20 a year dues to kind and it seems to make people feel it's a more permanent uh real organization than like you say a reading club or a writing club it's more of an established organization and because over the years we've held workshops with people like you wouldn't believe we're kind of known almost internationally so uh when you join ifwa you're getting a lot of exposure to people that have had a lot of experience and and good experience writing when ifwa meets once a month We've also had something develop over the years called splitters groups. So while we meet once a month and maybe do two critiques, um, a splitters group might meet every week. So maybe you and five other people from IFWA or whatever, will, you'll meet in your house, you'll meet somewhere else and you do more intense workshops or things like that. So we do provide the networking where people get used to showing each other their work. And then they say, you know what, I really, I'm stuck on a novel and they might do novel critiquing just because they got more time. So yeah, we, we have splitters groups. We, you know, before COVID, we had a lot of socials. We would go out and do fundraising for conversion and when words collide. So one thing, uh, I don't know if you know Randy McCharles. Randy McCharles is one of our longtime IFWA members way before me. And when conversion, our Calgary, uh, science fiction and fantasy festival folded, he started up When Words Collide, which is a writer's festival. Yes, yes. So IFWA, yay, we all support Randy because he's been a longtime writer with IFWA. And people that want to go once a year to a writer's festival right here in Calgary, it's, it's huge. It's, it's an amazing writer's festival. He decided to expand it out of science fiction and fantasy to uh, all genres of writing, like uh, romance or action adventure or whatever so when you're there you get to meet everybody so i think when you come to an ifon meeting you're actually meeting a lot of <laughs> people even outside of speculative fiction and i'm not saying they're in the group but we've all had we're all rubbing elbows with those people and well of course learning, well, you, 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 you meet from people, people right yeah oh, yeah you, you meet yeah, tons yeah. of people that's the fun part about these groups is you it's almost like it's like a little portal or a gateway to like so many people you wouldn't have met otherwise right because writers are very scarce and they hide in their closets so <laughs> Well, and you know what? Back in the day when you had to write something and send it to a publisher, the publishing industry is getting a little harder and harder to be successful with. So Mm -hmm. being self-published is much more honorable and a way to to do stuff. And so we're all supporting each other with self-publishing and you have to get out and meet people. So we also 
organized little field trips to places like this Seattle Rainforest Writers Retreat, where we would go, some of us would drive all the way to Seattle and do a, like a five-day writers retreat with mm. writers from all over North America. So in IFWA, you're meeting people that have met people, and, and with luck, you can hitch a ride and, and go to conventions, go to writing retreats, and it can be sociable, very sociable. Yeah, yes, definitely. I, I also find I really like talking with other writers because they, I wouldn't say they're the same personality. A lot of them are quite different, um, but it's always fun because you have this weird shared interest that's very specific. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I'll tell you, my wife says to me, never, ever quit Ifwa because I'm not talking to you about that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I love that. That sounds that sounds about right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so is there any any stories or any novels that you're working on currently? Are there any projects you're working on that you're excited about? Yes. Uh, last year I published uh, a uh, urban fantasy, uh, 1910 London. The title was uh, the collection of Jacqueline Melrose, Revenge, a couple of it's sort of a Mary Poppins takeoff originally. I thought, where did Mary Poppins come from? And it turns out it's a bad place. But <laughs> so I'm just, uh, the second book is with editors. And this Wednesday, I'm meeting with them to discuss the merits of that book. I'm writing a w series of witches novels, witches that are actually assassins. So that's kind of cool. Very nice. Uh, very nice. <laughs> and oddly enough, being retired, you'd think you'd have a lot more time to write. Nah, not really. <laughs> Yeah. There's always there's always something, right? You're <laughs> always always something. Yeah. You're always putting it off to the last day. It's like everybody who is in lockdown joking about how even though they have all this time to write, somehow they're still not writing. Yeah. It's just mysterious. And I, I, <laughs> I would suggest to your listeners that joining a writer's group gives you a kick in the butt to get stuff done. Yes, so correct. <laughs> you have to submit, you gotta submit. If you've uh yeah, there's everybody writing and you feel like a dork for not writing, well, it helps you get get to work. Yeah. Definitely, for sure. Um, yeah. Well, this has been such a great talk. Um, thank you so much for, for coming on. I did actually have one final question that I was thinking of. Um, so writers groups are just great for giving advice and stuff, especially in particular things you wouldn't have thought of. Is there any particular piece of advice you've received over the years from the group that has really helped you or that you'd like to, the, the wisdom you would like to impart on listeners? <laughs> well, two things is the only way to write is to actually do it. <laughs> So yes. I met people that want to write and wish they could write and they show up and they haven't written. And the only way to actually get it done is to do it. So, and again, thank God for writers groups because they really help you get that done. So it does take uh, a certain amount of time to get good at it. And the only way to get good at it is to write lots. And yes, you can get critique and get help, but write lots. That's, that's the number one thing, write lots. And the second thing is don't worry about being successful because, uh, successful to whatever you call it and don't let anybody else tell you different mm -hmm. <laughs> if yes. success for you is i had fun today then that's all you need so yeah so don't worry yeah. about selling the next book because it may never happen you never know you never know you never know so, yeah yeah, yeah have sure. fun and write lots that's that's what i would say have fun and write lots i like that that's some good advice that's not something to uh to to pie in the sky <laughs> And, and nothing you write is bad, to be honest with you. Absolutely mm -hmm. nothing you write is bad. We, we've mm -hmm. read so much stuff that's inspiring for whatever flaws it has. It's all inspiring to everybody. So, yeah, no worries. 
Awesome. I like that. No worries. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for uh, doing this interview with us today. Um, it was really pleasant to chat with you. Um, I'm, I'm glad that we got to talk because I was very curious in this group only because I, I kind of fish around Calgary and look, go looking for writing related things and reading related things and book related things. And I, I noticed your um, your group and I was like, I need to I need to ask about this group because it's been it's been around for so long. That's crazy. <laughs> Yeah, so thank you very really much awesome. for um, um, conducting an interview with me today. Was there anything else you'd like to say? No, uh, thank you for the opportunity. Uh, it was great. It really is great. And uh, yeah, awesome. see you at the next meeting. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, we'll see. All the CGSW listeners will be coming in. Uh. <laughs> cool. Cool, cool, cool. For those who just tuned in, that was Maddie Robinson interviewing Michael Gillette about IFWA, known as the Imaginative Fiction Writers Association. IFWA is a Calgary writing group located in downtown Calgary in Century Box. It was founded in 1988 to help imaginative fiction writers hone their skills and expand their knowledge base. If you are looking for a writing group and you want to just take that dive and send in your novel or short story to be critiqued, Contact Michael. Membership is only $20 a year. You are listening to another episode of Writer's Block. Writer's Block airs on the third Wednesday of every month from 8 to 9 p.m. on CJSW 90.9 FM. If you ever miss our show live, you can check us out on CJSW.com. Coming up next, we have a short fiction reading by local writer Candace Payne. Candace Payne is a homegrown Canmore local attending the University of Calgary. She is in her second year of the Natural Science program and is also pursuing a concentration in writing. She loves the creative play that writing affords and the contrast between the world of science and art. Without further ado, here is That Perfect Spiral. That Perfect Spiral. It was the familiar smell, the pungent odor of dried sweat, plastic, and rubber. Oh, de sports bag, I like to call it. The thick calm in the dingy darkness as pillars of light began to pierce through the cage lockers from the small windows above. I was nervous. So much was at stake. I had been waiting for this moment my whole life. Would I make the cut? piercing metal on metal in that new plastic smell, so strong it diluted my thoughts. It was my earliest memory. I was surrounded by my twins, lost and confused, awaiting our fate. The eyes of those surrounding us hazed by monotony of familiar movement and drudgery. It was warm, the light casting gangly shadows that cut the humid air. One by one we were manhandled, our personal space invaded by sweaty hands and brusque grasps. We were being inspected." As we moved down the line, some of my disheveled friends were taken away. You could feel their fear. I never saw them again. We never asked questions, never complained, no objections. Reaching the end of the line, we looked at each other with wide eyes. Crowded together, bodies pressed tightly, rough skin on skin. Suddenly, I was pulled from the crowd, lifted up into a blinding light by a strong mechanical grip. My eyes were mere slits as I attempted to understand what was happening. Just as alarm began to morph into fear, I was smothered in darkness. Deep, inky darkness. I rolled around and felt four walls containing me. There was no escape. I was trapped. We could hear their footsteps approaching. It was time. 
Coach exuded a fragile confidence as he and the referees entered the locker room. Determination painted their faces. All right, let's see what we've got, said Coach. All lined up in a row, the anxious anticipation was palpable. We all wanted to play. The Stampeders needed this win. Coach and the referees inspected us all one by one to determine who would play and who would sit this one out. Round bellies protruding, tips sharp, loose ends tucked in, we stood up straight attempting to hide our fear. I looked down the row and saw that a few of my peers had received numbers. They were in. I couldn't help but feel jealous. Their fate was sealed and mine teetered on the precipice. One untied lace, one too many scratches, or that faintest look of wear, and we would be benched. Still part of a victorious team, but denied the glory of the game. Coach's eyes roamed over me. I could feel the moisture on his palm as he touched my shoulder. Smell the coffee on his breath as it hit my face. A speck of pepper resting comfortably between his teeth. Thirteen. Perfect. Starting lineup. He called out to the ref, who recorded the number on his clipboard. Disbelief and excitement overwhelmed me. Grey Cup Championship game. As the realization caught me, I could feel the pressure within building. My belly was suddenly very warm. I didn't know whether I wanted to deflate with relief or explode with joy. Both sounded like plausible options. Time and darkness pressed in on me, leaning over as they interrogated my every thought. Good cop versus bad cop. Time draws itself out, relaxing in the chair across from me, courteous and calm. The good cop, almost making me feel at ease. Polite at first, offering a drink. Would you like a coffee? Water? I get the sensation that the encounter will be pleasant. Brief. It greets me with understanding and concern. Just a couple of questions and I'll be free to go. Darkness joins the interrogation, yelling in my face. I can't evade it. It wants all of me, all of my attention, all of my focus. The questions fly like arrows, swift and sharp as they pin me to the spot, leaving me shrunken and debilitated. Time chimes in with a soft reminder that it hasn't been that long. Or has it? Darkness is pressing me against the wall, unrelenting. It wants answers. Even my eyes search for mercy in darkness's face. If you asked how long I was trapped for, I could not answer. At times it felt like it was a month, a year perhaps, maybe a few. But the memory of that blinding light as I was plucked from my peers seemed so vivid, so clear. How could it have been so long? All I know is that one day I awoke to a new sensation. My cell was being moved. The team sat together listening intently as Coach went through multiple offensive plays and defensive tactics. The creaky sound of shoulder pads and squeaking of benches filled the air as nerves fidgeted through the room. I looked around and saw the familiar superstitious rituals taking place. Mitchell rubbing his helmet, eyes closed, face wrinkled in concentration. The half-eaten bag of Skittles sitting in quick side. Richard's fingers twisting each dreadlock a little tighter. Coach paused in his gameplay brief, and the room amplified with silence. All I could do was breathe. Gentlemen, what awaits you out there is an opportunity. Yes, yes, an opportunity to win, to make history, to hold the Grey Cup, but that's not what I'm talking about. No, this opportunity goes far beyond the superficiality of winners and losers, of salary increases and merchandise deals. This opportunity means something. He paused to look around at all the concentrating faces, making sure he had the rapture of the room. Softly, he continued, What awaits you out there is a city of broken and defeated souls, a broken Calgary. They've lost their livelihoods, their future plans, and their freedom. Some have lost the will to live. They're here today because you have kindled a small ember inside of them. You've reminded them that there's a reason to get out of bed in the morning, that life is worth more than money and joy is priceless. Gentlemen, like I said, today you have an opportunity. Another deep break to emphasize his words. The team, like school children, hang on every syllable. 
that opportunity is to reignite Calgary's spirit. The question is, are you ready to take it? Thick, velvety silence as the weight of his words rolled through our minds. I said, are you ready? Knocked out of the trance, the team bellowed in unison, yeah! The team was on their feet, like a swarm of excited bees bustling down the tunnel onto the field, Thomas jumping up and down beside me to quash the remnants of any nerves. I kept my mind malleable, going over all the different plays and swallowing my anxiety that threatened my focus. We could do this. I knew we could. The late November air bit us as we emerged, my skin covered in the familiar goosebumps as the pride of entering McMahon Stadium filled my chest. Looking into the stands, you could see the cheering fans excitedly jumping around, homemade signs wavering in the gale-force winds. The field was powdered with sugar frost. Imprints of footsteps left a path to the player's bench. Giddy excitement pinned my anxiety to the floor for a glorious moment. Huddle up, coach called as he fixed the team with a stern, fatherly glare. From my vantage point, I could see all the players' faces, everyone fidgeting, weight teetering from one foot to another. Now, they aren't going to hand this to us. We gotta stay sharp, stay clean. That means you, Hamilton. Coach's finger poked Hamilton's chest. Give it everything you got, but save some in the tank for the fourth. Mitchell, trust your instincts. A light, affectionate tap on the cheek for Mitchell. Quick, I want your eyes glued to that ball until it's in your hands, you hear me? Coach's eyebrows raise in question. Yes, coach, a look of self-assurance and a nod from Quick. All right, bring it in. Cold hands pile on top of each other. Determined looks are exchanged all around. On three. One, two, three, Stampeders! The movement and jostling continued for some time before everything became stationary once again. Lying on my back on the floor looking into the blackness, I waited. Fear snuggling me tight, wrapping its ungracious arms around me. It had been my only companion for who knows how long, and I resisted its affections no longer. Curled up together in our Stockholm relationship, we waited. Perhaps I was beginning to hallucinate. I had lost all sense of direction, time, and perception. However, it appeared as though there were a sharp edge of light running down the center of the ceiling of my cell. Wait! It was real and accompanied by a rough, jagged noise. Light now glowed on the right half of the ceiling and soon the left as well. I was painted in a warm, soft glow of natural light and I was looking up at the ceiling beyond my cell. Fear had retreated to the dark corner, crouched in the fetal position, its face buried in its knees. The true nature of our relationship illuminated. The first half of the game flew past like Christmas Day. Pre-anticipation seems to siphon hours of the real day once it arrives. How else could you explain time's disappearing act? We had managed a touchdown soon into the first, but the Rough Riders were quick to reply with their own. Here sat the scoreboard, stale and tied as halftime loomed. Mitchell pulled the team into one last pre-play huddle before the halftime horn sounded. The cloud of condensed breath filled the gap in the tight circle of helmets. Perspiration repelled down cheeks and chests heaved, lassoing oxygen back into lungs. Forty yards. That's all that stands between us and that end zone. Quick, how you feeling? Got another dash and catch in ya? A breathless nod and a deep swallow was Quick's reply. Richards, Wharton, Hamilton, and Tillery, hold him back. Long enough for Quick to sneak by. Four looks of concern greeted this last request. Don't worry about me. I'll be fine. Focus on getting Quick out safe and quick. Quick's eyes looked up at Mitchell. Don't you go dropping that perfect spiral, you hear? A cheeky grin pulls up at Quick's eyes as his mouth guard peeks through his lips. His nod is deep and slow this time. I could feel his honed resolve. Mitchell placed his hand in the center and the rest pile on top. Stampeders! I'm pulled out of my cell by strong, calloused hands. 
Looking around me, I see that some of my peers were with me all along, simply kept in their own confinement. A small trickle of relief seeps into my pounding chest. The room we're in is dimly lit, with small windows rooming the top. Echoes of sound can be heard bounding off the tall walls with every movement. It's spacious and cool. We are piled together in a small cloth enclosure and left to our own devices as the men who pulled us out leave. We take this time to visually check each other over, making sure no harm has come to anyone. Thankfully, we are all doing well. No one has suffered any physical damage. Still unsure of where we are and what is coming, there is a sense of unease among the group. Slowly, exhaustion overtakes anxiety and we huddle up together to spend the night. The team takes their familiar places in the offensive lineup. I'm right in the center where I belong, poised and ready. To my right, I see the toes wiggling and digging into the crisp grass, attempting to gain traction. In front of me, the knuckles on the ground are dressed to match the frost. A few words of taunting are heard floating way down the end of the left. Mitchell starts to yell out the play tags, slow at first and then with momentum and bravado. I can just see quick through the arms, his right leg strong in front of the left. Hands out in front, fingers spread, he's rocking back and forth like a racehorse held back by the gate. Hut! The hollow thud of shoulder pads and the watermelon crack of helmets colliding surrounds me as I'm pushed back towards Mitchell. Pushed out of the line of scrimmage, two huge rough riders are careening towards us. Mitchell puts out his left and redirects a helmet to his left, deftly twisting his body to avoid the other on his right. My heart is playing the snare drum at a vigorous pace, attempting to showcase its talent outside my chest. I look to Mitchell for guidance, but he's all business, scanning the field for quicks number 17. Morning comes, and with it the sound of voices. Cheerful, teasing, and loud voices bellow towards me. Peering around, I realize the place has a feeling of camaraderie about it. In the light of a sunny day, it feels welcoming and familial. The voices arrive with their bodies attached. Smiling, cajoling men look at us. They gently grab us, and without any explanation, we are escorted through a tunnel and onto a large field. There, we are placed together while the men crowd around and chat. Glancing down the field, I see white lines painted in the grass. There are two large white metal structures on either end looking like giant radio antenna. One of my peers whispers to me that he's heard of this place before. It's what they call a football field. I'd never heard of such a place, but it didn't seem foreboding, and a wonderful sense of calm began to spread through me, almost as if I belonged here. The target has been located. I could see Quick's back as he ran on the right side of the field, face looking over his left shoulder. He's ready. The only sound in the wind accompanied by that feeling of emptiness in my chest. I glance over and see the clock is counting down. The weight of the imminent halftime horn is heavy. This is the moment I've been waiting for. I was made for this. Mitchell can see that there is no one near Quick. He takes one last glance around to ensure he won't be overtaken by the bedlam before us. Mitchell grabs me with his left hand to rotate me, so my laces are under his right finger. I can feel the slight pressure at his fingertips dig into my sides. In an instant, all that I've been through, my entire journey from creation on that assembly line, to waiting in that cardboard box, to arriving at this training facility, and being thrown around during my first practice, I know it was all worth it. This is where I'm meant to be. I'm pulled back beside Mitchell's ear before being rocketed into the air. I can feel the thrust and velocity as I leave his palm, the slight twist in his wrist as he releases me. I'm flying through the air, my favorite place to be, spinning in that perfect spiral. For those who just tuned in, that was a short story by local writer Candace Payne. Our episode of Writer's Block tonight is almost done, 
And so we'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in tonight. This episode featured interviews with Don Dumont and Michael Gillette, as well as a short fiction reading by Candace Payne. Our final bonus segment for Writer's Block tonight will be Poetry Trivia. Thank you for listening to another episode of Writer's Block, and we will see you all next month. Do you have a rich, active social life? Were you popular in high school? Do you get invited to parties or social events frequently? If you answered no to any or all of these questions, then get excited. Tonight, we're doing a short feature on literary trivia and you might have a chance. Here's how the game goes. We'll read a segment of a famous poem, and it's your job to guess who wrote that poem. If you manage to get all four poets, then congratulations, you're an amateur literary enthusiast. Without further ado, let's get started. Here is the segment from our first poem. Whose woods these are, I think I know. His house is in the village, though. He will not see me stopping here to watch his woods fill up with snow. My little horse must think it queer to stop without a farmhouse near, between the woods and frozen lake, the darkest evening of the year. He gives his harness bells a shake to ask if there is some mistake. The only other sounds the sweep of easy wind and downy flake. The woods are lovely, dark and deep, but I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep and miles to go before I sleep. That was a fairly short famous poem called Stopping by Woods on a Snowy Evening. The poet in question is Robert Frost. So if you guessed Robert Frost, you got the first question correct. Way to go. Our next poem will be another short one. Let's read a segment and see if you can guess who it is. Because I could not stop for death, he kindly stopped for me. The carriage held but just ourselves and immortality. We slowly drove, he knew no haste, and I had put away my labor and my leisure too for his civility. That was again another very famous poem by 
Emily Dickinson. The poem shares its title with its first line, Because I Could Not Stop for Death. It was originally published in 1890. Let's move on to the third poem. April is the cruelest month, breeding lilacs out of the dead land, mixing memory and desire, stirring dull roots with spring rain. Winter kept us warm, covering earth in forgetful snow, feeding a little life with dried tubers. Unlike the previous two poems featured, uh, this segment was from a much longer poem. That poem is called The Wasteland by T.S. Eliot. So if you guessed that the poem was by T.S. Eliot, you are correct. While the poem is quite long, it has a lot of very recognizable parts, including its first line, April is the cruelest month. Everyone who has ever gone through final season in university knows this is true. Let's carry on with the next poem. I am your opus, I am your valuable, the pure gold baby that melts to a shriek. I turn and burn. Do not think I underestimate your great concern. Ash, ash, you poke and stir. Flesh, bone, there is nothing there. A cake of soap, a wedding ring, a gold filling. Hair God, hair Lucifer, beware, beware. Out of the ash, I rise with my red hair, and I eat men like air. If you can't think of the writer of that very famous poem, maybe go look in the oven. Um, for those who still aren't sure who wrote that, that was Sylvia Plath's famous poem, Lady Lazarus. Unlike the other poetry featured tonight, Lady Lazarus is best known for its last line rather than its first, yet many of the lines from the poem are recognizable. And with that, that concludes our final segment of Writer's Block, our little fun literary trivia segment. We appreciate you listening, and if you'd like to reach out to us to tell us how you did on the quiz, or if you'd like to record your own segment, let us know at cjsw.writers at gmail.com.